Hello, everyone, and welcome to Scene, scene Partners. Partners. Oh, man, you know what? <laughs> Let's take it back. <laughs> what? No, no, because I wanted to do the thing that's so popular on TikTok where they do like that popcorn thing where it's like, hello, everyone, and welcome to... Uh, I don't understand what you're talking about. Popcorn thing? I don't know what I don't know what this is. You Never have to mind. tell me what All it right. was before Never, we did it's, it. It's not important. You say welcome to, and then I would say scene you partners. You were on or TikTok. I would just be like, way more. No, no, no. no. Where popcorn. they do like the one person says a word in this color, and then they have another person say a word in this color. This is a podcast. They can't see colors. I understand that, but <laughs> I thought maybe you and I could do like a call and response type of thing. Okay, you go for it. It's too late. No, you try it. Hi everyone, and welcome to scene. Partners. I thought you- <laughs> <laughs> it's not a one-word thing. <laughs> I'm so confused. Oh my goodness! Before we get started, man, I just want to say I've learned two things this week. I've had the realization, I guess, uh, of two things this week. One is that, especially after last week, how when that person came up to us and said, "Hey, you guys should do a podcast," and I kind of schluffed it off, like, "Oh my god, whatever." Mm-hmm. And now it's one of the most fulfilling things that I get to do to actually talk about theater all oh, the time. Because yeah. yeah. it's not like an outlet that you and I get to do really ever. Well, it's, when it's yeah, not especially us. right now. <laughs> and where other people might actually want to listen to it. And then the second was that I think the reason Lexi, your wife, is so okay with us doing this is because she has heard every story. And it's like, <laughs> I'm putting him on to someone else. He's like, I'm tired of hearing it. This is going to give me literally 55 minutes to sit in the living room all by myself. And she's out there reading, <laughs> baking, getting Cody things and Chris done. can just hang out and it's going to be just them. He is I not don't have to be bothering in the room me. Because I'll, I've, I can't be in the room because they're recording. That's smart. I didn't think about that. So what's our topic today, man? You do this to me every time just to see if I remember. This is uh, our, our topic today. Is uh, it is about spectacle um, in contemporary theater? That's one. That's one. We're going to talk about some spectacles. How about the commercialization? Oh, of you know what? I think arts. it would be good if we talked about the commercialization <laughs> of the performing arts. Everyone should know Cody is the one that picks these out. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> and he can't remember. Well, them. I write them down. I'm like, oh, this would be a really good, cool thing to talk about, and then I forget. And really, I sit like today. I. I sent Chris like twelve topics. I had I had <laughs> no true. idea really what he was going to choose. I just assume he'll he'll pick one and he'll come up with at least three questions and then I'll try to let him talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you said yeah before yeah. you knew what I said. Yeah. No. So I, yeah, we're gonna talk about commercialization. Yes. So um, what is a pretty big? That's a pretty big uh, topic. So what exactly do we mean by commercialization of the theater. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to like go into it. I'm sorry. No, I was just softballing that one out there to oh, you. Okay. Um, let's see. I mean, just people making money off of the theater. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It becomes a profit thing. Yeah, cuz I think a lot of times, well, especially when you were talking about your experience with that one theater house in um where where were you at when you're doing to uh the the Christmas Carol? Oh, the Palace Theater. Yeah. With the Wisconsin Dells. Yes. And you know Tony Tomaska. I'm calling <laughs> you out right here, Tomaska. I don't know if this is slander if I could be sued, but you're the worst. <laughs> 
But it's one of those things like in that that's one of those because when you told me this, it was the thing that I thought about how these people are making money, but they're refusing to pay the actors. Well, he was just in this for um, or at least it seemed this way. He also owns some some pizza restaurants in Chicago, I think. Seems like somebody told me that, hmm. and that he was like a businessman, and then he went in this, you know, business venture of producing theater, but it wasn't because he wanted necessarily to produce great theater. He just saw an opportunity to make some money, and I think that he had this dream, and it wasn't really working out in the way that he wanted. Yeah. But um, oh yeah, I hope it's okay. I just called that dude out. I mean, it's not like he's ever gonna listen. <laughs> Well, maybe. So, <laughs> you'd be like, man, that guy's the worst. Um, but yeah, but you know, that was one of those situations where I think f- with that particular theater company that it was more about, um, since it was about making the money, I just don't think, I guess this is what I should say. I feel like I'm kind of talking in circles. But um, what I'm meaning to say is whenever you put money at the very forefront yeah. of why you are doing this, you know, or any of your passions, that you're not setting yourself up for any sort of success. Yeah. Um, I think that you have to have some other, you know, your heart has to be in it in some other way. Not That's not the way that it was out there. But that was definitely felt more like commercialized theater. Yeah. That we're doing this so that we can make money, and that's it. Yeah, it's like, it's like you're just trying to, what you see a lot of times in TV shows is like they're like adding this Here's this Doritos bag conveniently placed oh, yeah. front and forward so we mm-hmm. can advertise for the them. The product placement, yeah. yeah. And, and that's, that I guess, kind of... That became a huge thing in the 90s or, 90s or 80s. I just remember Wayne's World making fun of that. Oh, lot. yeah. As they were also As they doing were, it. Yeah, making the money off of Pepsi. Um, but... Does had, that count? Did we just make some money from Pepsi? I would like... Mm-hmm. I think we did. Did we have a Pepsi moment? I think we... I think you need to catch fire for us to... You should... You should crack open a bottle of Pepsi. I don't know what their slogan was. <laughs> Grab you a Pepsi. Give us some money. I don't. <laughs> the... So commercialization in podcasts. Um... Apparently, if we ever get to the point of being able to advertise on this, we really are going to need to plan what we're going to say. Yeah, it's gonna. It's not even going to be like a back and forth between us. It's going to be literally, yeah. this is the product. And judging Here's off of how offer. I remember the topics that I come up with, you're going to have to know everything, and I'm just going to, I guess, make things right? up on the side. So what, have you had an experience <laughs> with this commercialization? Yeah, you know. Outside I mean, of that, obviously. Well, yeah, that was, a, that was definitely one of those moments. Um, you know, going from working uh in small storefront theaters was what we call them in in chicago like they have um they would just take over any any building that was for rent and they'd put a a small theater in there for a little while you know and it might move around but there were so many theaters in in chicago there's over 600 of them or at least there were and you have all of these people that are just doing whatever they can to produce really good art and stuff that means something to them. Mm-hmm. There was this this theater company was the exact opposite of commercialization. So I guess I'll start with them. They uh, the name of the theater company was the Oracle, and they were a completely free theater in the city. So you did not pay for a ticket, and when you got there, they would hand you a uh, they would hand you a beer. <laughs> when you walked in the door, <laughs> you had to reserve your seat, and it was in a very tiny, very, very, very tiny space. You could only fit about twenty people 
on each side because you'd walk in and it was much like a, a a small business. Like you could tell this was this room was made not to be a theater. Yeah. So they put almost everything that I saw there was in uh in in like an alley seating or a runway seating if you want to call it that way. So you had audience on one side of the stage. And then you would actually be sitting down and looking at the other side of the theater where the other audience was sitting. And you had the runway stage in the middle. And they only cared about producing good theater that was free to the public because yeah. that didn't exist in the city. Every you know, Theater is expensive. Tickets are expensive to the theater. And um, I saw they had done a production of The Jungle, uh, Upton Sinclair's novel. And which is based in Chicago. So that was kind of like a really big deal. But that show was one of the best theater experiences that I ever had in Chicago. And I didn't pay any money for it. Really? I sat in the audience with 40 other people. We watched this brilliant production that was put on with no money. And they didn't charge anyone. And they did these really cool things. Uh, The Jungle takes place in... um, in a time in, in Chicago when a lot of people were immigrating into the U.S. and they were working at the meatpacking plant. So this was whenever the meatpacking industry was really big on the south side of Chicago. And um, so they had all this stuff about the, the, like the cows and it takes place and they're supposed to be butchering these cows. They had one door as an entrance on the side and I'm pretty sure that that door led to the, um, the fire escape. So the actors had to like hang out in this little bitty hallway <laughs> if they were going to enter from this spot and it was the one spot in the middle and other otherwise they have to enter through the front where we entered from yeah and they had a big roll of paper um Matt Foss directed this he actually also did the adaptation of this novel and he did a brilliant job i would love to direct it but if i do direct this matt i'm going to steal all of your ideas <laughs> <clears throat> and i'm going to talk about them right now he had this big spool of paper up there and this is kind of the reason why I'm telling this story. But he, they had this big spool of paper and then these um, these boards that they had made a giant stamp out of. And it was the, the, the cuttings of a cow. It shows you, you know, there's that like print that shows you what section of each oh, cow yeah, is yeah, that, yeah. that butchers use. So it was that on the stamp. And then they had other people that were working in the meat packing plant and they would squirt it with ink from a water bottle, basically, like a squirt bottle. And then that person would slam it onto the paper, onto the wall, and then they would cut it with butcher knives, and they would ball it up and throw it through that door where the like trash of it would be processed yeah. and turned into other things. And it was so intense. It was so cool. The way that they creatively came up with dealing with how like how do you have a herd of cattle yeah. come through? And how do you make it intense? And there's this one part um i'm gonna try to remember this guy's name in the novel i think it's jurgison jurgison is his name sticking with it <laughs> jurgison is his name and um he's the he's like the person that the whole thing centers around mm-hmm. the story centers around and he gets hurt whenever a stampede of cattle come in so they stamp a bunch of on this spool of paper and then they spin it around him and basically tighten him up almost like a like a snake and then he falls onto the ground. It was just like this really cool moment where they made this stampede thing happen and got him hurt. It was yeah. just really, really cool. And um, they also had a they also had a, a trash puppet chicken, <laughs> 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 which was really brilliant. 
because one of the landowners or the the people that they were renting from, she had this chicken to eat the bed bugs. That was like one of the things in the story. And so they had this woman walking around with this this puppet, but it was made out of trash. And so they did it for free. It's just that to me is the exact opposite of commercialization because yeah. these people that are forced into creating something out of nothing. Yeah. And I really do think that some beauty comes from that because you have to work your brain really hard. Like, mm-hmm. how am I going to figure this out? Which I think is a lot of what we do in small communities. Oh, and for sure, yeah. We have to figure out a way to make whatever we have work. Um, you know, when we do shows at Play On or at the Fox, we don't spend any money on the set. Like, that mm-hmm. does not happen. Yeah. We just have to figure out what we can borrow, what we can make out of, you know, what we already have. And I think when we do that, the show's are so much better somehow. It's it's almost like we've had to work and put so much thought into it yeah. that it, it 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 transcends somehow. Um, that if we just you know could write a check and you know get a whole bunch of really nice things in there and it didn't really take any time and we didn't have to worry about how much money we were spending, it's a little different. Yeah. Um, so you have this theater like the Oracle Theater who's doing this great thing, this passion project, putting on these shows for the community, and then you have. Uh, I'll just like the big bad wolf of theater, which is like, you know, let's just say Chicago shakes. Yeah. And they are making an insane amount of money. Right. I mean, I mean, they're not, maybe they're not making a lot of money, but they have donors and they're yeah. technically yeah, yeah, yeah. a nonprofit. And so they're getting all of this funding. They have a lot of funding. They're like, a, I don't know. It's like $11 million a year theater or something like that. Holy smokes. Yeah. That's so awesome. the, yes, it is. Um, and it, and it was great. I really did love working for them. But just purely from a producing standpoint and having the opportunity to be on their stage and then also behind the table in the productions, um, I they put on this show, and it's the one thing that I, I talk about this a lot. Um, they put on Henry the Sixth. Is Henry the Sixth or Henry the Eighth? I can't. Rem- I can't remember. Um, not one of Shakespeare's most produced plays. It was not fully written by him. It was him and somebody else, and I don't remember the other guy's name. Christopher Marlowe? No, actually. (laughs) Christopher Marlowe was already dead (laughs) over the bill. (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah, anyway, so they had this moment in the play where uh, they had this huge purple velvet curtain that was hanging on the stage. It was massive. And it was on stage for about 45 seconds. And then it fell, and it showed you little child Elizabeth, like Queen Elizabeth. They had yeah. like a kid actor up there, and and then it went black, and then it was done. That was it. It was that was its one moment. This curtain on stage, forty five seconds, fell to the ground, like it was a drop curtain, and unveiled this kid behind it. And that curtain cost them thirty five thousand dollars. Wow. And I think about that all the time. <laughs> what you could do with a $35,000 budget yeah, for a just, show here. Just that yeah. budget. Also, what I think about is, if I had $35,000, am I going to spend that on that curtain? Am I going to try to think? So this is my vision, I yeah. guess, as the director. I want this to happen. What else can I do to make that happen? And then can I divvy up that $35,000 and give that to my actors? Yeah. Or to my technicians <laughs> right. or literally anyone? I mean, you have so many possibilities at that point of who you want to take care of, but $35,000 curtain. That's the way you go. Yeah. 
and that to me just explains commercial theater right <laughs> to a t it's it it takes away i think the artistry in a way oh for sure and i think it just it kind of makes people lazy because you don't have to worry so much about failure mm-hmm. um and and it is stressful i mean as far as on the other side of it if you are producing a show and you you know uh, this it's just it's the same way with with play on i mean we're a for-profit theater when we produce a show, we have got to to make back the money that we put into it, and then we have to make more money. Yeah. So whatever we put in, we have to be very specific about what we're spending money on. Is it important? All of those things. And then you have to worry about the marketing side of it. And so when do you have a chance to to focus on the reason why you're doing it? Yeah, right. I, I don't Yeah. That, that was a very long... You did that thing. You knew this was going to happen. I was going to get on here and just start blabbering. <laughs> well, no, you know, I think the thing, especially because when when you take a look at it, I'll use maybe a, a non-stage um, example. I'll use like um, the Fellowship of the Ring for the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Are you going to compare it to The Hobbit? No. Oh, okay, good. Oh, cool. Of course I could, <laughs> but when you look at that first one... I don't think they're comparable. <laughs> when you look at that first one, it's it's great because <clears throat> you see how little budget they had for that first one. Oh yeah, and that was like most of the trilogy at the time's budget mm-hmm. was spent on that first film. And you look at it today, and you're like, this is shot like an indie film. Yeah, it looks awesome. Yes, they and, were very creative <clears throat> with the cinematography. Yeah, and and, and it's beautiful, and and those long shots on the ring to save mm-hmm. money. You, I mean, you can see <laughs> like what it's for, but. At the same time, you look at the other two, and there there is a, a disparity almost because they had a little budget. They went back and did some reshoots to tighten up some shots and things like that. But how good is a production when you have so little to work with that you make almost every aspect work? Right. And and you you're like it's always for the benefit of either the characters or the story or the production, and having that moment of the $35,000, you know, uh, the curtain fall one time creates mm-hmm. a moment. A moment, yeah. You're not focusing on the the full picture. And and it makes me almost think like what if this was this might have been a producer's thing where he was like I'm investing this money, so no, this, I want this, this was, moment. This was the director. Okay, thing. well, you know, but <laughs> but I understand what you're saying. So one person made that decision for a whole production. Mhm. And like, I would never want to be a part of something that is like this whole thing hinges on this one really cool thing, yeah. right? Unless it's like the 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 Jekyll and Hyde turn or or the the flowers for Algernon turn, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it can't be this, and and that's not even an actor moment. That is literally a set piece falling down, yeah, and revealing someone else, and and it's like who actually wasn't written. Like this was a moment that she had had in her mind. Of progressing the story, it's not in the script. It was not anything that that Shakespeare did not write in this technical moment yeah. to happen. There were no lines that this child Elizabeth had. Right. It was her way of being like, "Oh, this happened, and I want everybody to know the curtain falls on Henry, and now we have Elizabeth, yeah, or whatever the rain is that she she." And chose. there's there's like you know you're saying that, and I'm thinking of so many other ways creatively to do that, right, with way less money, yeah. <laughs> and like lighting could have been very easy mm-hmm. to maneuver around that. And and I'm not saying that it's good or bad one right. way or the other, but it, it it goes to prove how strong those moments were 
in your Oracle theater story. Yeah, well, versus that's that. kind of what I was like with the, with the Oracle. They had to be so specific about every moment, and they only they only had the people there that they needed. Yeah, which was a big thing. So it was just a cast of like seven people, mm-hmm. eight people, and everybody played multiple parts, and they all like it was just they were it was just really really cool. Yeah, I loved the experience, and it wasn't just because they gave me a free beer. Like I really loved the <laughs> right? experience, but. You know, they also, there, there's another moment at the same theater with the same director, not at the Oracle, but at Chicago Shakes, where um, they they have the option to do something. I'm trying to figure out if it's okay that I'm just totally ragging on these people. But um, I think that it is one of those things that comes from so just I'm gonna, having an, I, an I do abundance say this, of though. money. I do want to say this, though. I think it's important because I hate when people are like, oh, that was, that was you know, that was good or that was... I, it's not for me, but it was this or whatever. And it's like, just say you liked it or you didn't. Yeah, it doesn't have to work for you every. No, time. and I I tell that to my students all the time. It's like that's the what we do is subjective. Yeah. Everything is an opinion, and you may not you may like it or you may not like it. Yeah, and that's okay. Um, but in this particular instance, they were doing King Lear, and they were focusing more on the homeless side of it, which I thought was really a, a nice, brilliant thing to do. Is to focus on the the people that of King Lear's kingdom that are suffering, and then he then becomes homeless and then understands. Yeah, them was the thing. Um, and the way that they did that is they hired a bunch of intern actors in the very beginning of the storm scene when he's when King Lear goes out there and he says that famous monologue about the storm, the blow winds and crack your cheeks. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was funny watching you kind of like try to tell me that story. <laughs> like, if I give him nothing, what's he gonna do? So she had this whole opening where, I mean, like forty people. They had hired. They were actually in, intern actors from a school. Yeah, pretty sure they were from Roosevelt, and they were just supposed to be in this scene, and then they got to help out and some other stuff in the show, and. They were going to get to be in this show at Chicago Shakes, which is really huge if you're in college, especially. And, well, of course, anybody, um, you know. Yeah. And so even if it's just walking on the stage. But, right. So they had, you know, rigged up the set so it would rain and all this stuff. And they were going through it and going through it and going through it. And they got to the first preview and it was like, you know what? Yeah, I don't like this. We're not doing this anymore. Um, tell all those people to go home. They're not in the show anymore. I didn't Oof. like it. Which... To be fair, is that director's prerogative? If yeah. that's what they want to do, cut it. It's. I mean, that's why you have previews to weed out the things you don't like. But you made it that far into the process with these kids, yeah. <laughs> and how like that to me is just like, well, it doesn't matter. You know, my my decisions. If I if I like this, it's great. If I don't, it doesn't matter because you know we're gonna make our money anyway and. These people's feelings, you know, it's you don't you're not taking any of those things into account. And yeah. I think that's one of the things that comes with commercial theater is that you just don't have to worry. Like you're you're the people that are there, since there's so much money involved most of the time, you're you either have the people on top that are super stressed and are only worried about, you know, butts and seats. Yeah. Or you've got people that are like, Oh, well, I got my money. I mean, I got my I got my twenty thousand dollars to direct this show. Yeah. So it doesn't matter to me. I'm yeah, going to leave after opening. <laughs> right. To create <laughs> to create just a, a 
some cool moment, and that's you know it yeah, makes I'm me be think here of for three weeks. I'm gonna go through this process. Opening night, I'm done. I get to leave, and they'll do it for however long. Right. You look at something. You know, obviously, when Hamilton got on Broadway, they mm-hmm. they had sort of more of more of an um, limitless. I, I wouldn't say limitless budget, but they were able to do kind of whatever they wanted, but. They kept the sets and things very, very, very simple. Yeah, minimal, minimal staging, yeah. and and that's why like things on the set. It's very different for Broadway, especially at the time. Well, yeah, true, because and that's what I was going to talk about is mm-hmm. that they use a lot of those light boards or those those LED backed, um, you know, backdrops nowadays, yeah. and it's not often that you see sort of the more traditional sets on on. Uh, Broadway sets now. Yeah, you're not seeing painted backdrops yeah. on Broadway. That's and, not, and, not happening. And that brings anymore. me to the point of sort of the spectacle of it. Yeah. And that you're putting, and much like your your Oracle and, and um, Shakespeare Shakes. <laughs> Shakespeare Shakes, a new play starring <laughs> Catherine Hepburn playing Shakespeare. The Chicago Shakes. <laughs> um... <laughs> Shakespeare's um, Shakes is what I'm going to call it from now on. Yep. As forever its name. But but you're seeing that that kind of that disparity between the spectacle and utilizing things to tell the story better. Because you know, when you when you see stuff like um the that thing that like the Jonas brother did for Lay Miz, and they literally stand there and just sing the songs. Oh, is he he in the concert version of it? Yes. Yes, he was and in then, the concert version. So to compare that, I like, forgot all about yeah. that. Or, or even even some of the uh, the more um, Disney, which uh, is obviously a publicity stunt. I mean, you're oh, like, yeah, obviously, yeah, no. <laughs> um, but even I don't some even like more... Les Mis, and I'm turning my nose up to that situation. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the the Disney type of um, um, things that they do on stage for their Broadway shows, and it's like how big those things are and to fly those things in and and versus this thing that used the same actors for multiple roles mm-hmm. things that we would do in traditional theater well you know the thing with disney and it's very you know disney was not on broadway until 1997 yeah and they um they moved the new amsterdam theater i think was the name of it I think is where they moved. They moved into this theater called the the New Amsterdam Theater to do uh, the Lion King, mm. and uh, like they had workshopped it actually in they workshopped the Lion King in July in Minnesota, and then they moved it and already had it ready to go on Broadway for October, which is crazy to me. I'm like, so th- that was was just so fast, so fast. Also, it was weird to me that they did it in Minnesota. I was like, Minnesota, right. what? I mean, they had kind of done something. Oh well, I don't have to tell that story. Um, uh, I was going to say about how they they tried to make the Jungle Book happen. Oh and yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. the guy who's um, who is Hermes in Hades Town was uh, the orangutan guy and Jungle Book. I can't remember, but it was at the Goodman King Theater. King Louis. King Louis. Yes. He played King Louis in this, and. Um, and they threw a whole bunch of money at it. Julie Taymor. No, not Julie Taymor. Oh man, I can't remember this woman's name. She wrote Metamorphosis and is a Looking Glass Ensemble member. I can't remember oh, her name. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you're um, Mary Zimmerman. Mary Zimmerman directed it, and it kind of just 
exploded and didn't happen. Didn't go. Didn't go anywhere. It, it ended there. Didn't make it to Broadway after that. But um, the Lion King, so they moved it and they took this broken down theater in New York and they rebuilt it. I mean, it was falling to pieces. They bought the theater and they rebuilt it. And the Lion King has been there for the past 20 years. I mean, that's crazy. That's Actually, insane. well, like 24 years, 23 years is crazy. That's just nuts to me. Um, anyway, and that is one of those huge spectacle, like crazy shows that kind of like started it. That started the, the Disneyfication of Broadway. Yeah. yeah and yeah, yeah. what's cool with, you know, after that, I think New York had a hard time trying to figure out what it was, mm-hmm. you know, because then they went from Lion King to Beauty and the Beast, I think was their next one. And Beauty and the Beast did really well, but they were going to keep the Lion King open. So Beauty and the Beast had to leave because they can, they only want two shows on Broadway at a time. So Beauty and the Beast leaves, and then they open whatever came next, like Mary Poppins or something. Yeah. And then that leaves, and then they go to Frozen. You know, Apparently, I'm the Disney on Broadway <laughs> expert. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Uh, um but uh, but anyway, but still, Lion King stays the whole time. Yeah. But what's interesting and really cool about the Lion King is, even though it is spectacle, nothing like that had ever happened before. Mm-hmm. And they did these beautiful things. I mean, Julie Taymor did some. She did a um a production of Madame Butterfly in England, where she used kind of similar techniques of what she did with the Lion King with this puppetry and and some projections and things. And um, I think she kind of carried that into The Lion King and just created this beautiful show. And I think that's why people love it so much is that, you know, you get to see these people, like, you know, transforming into these creatures. And it's just, it's it's awesome what she did. And even though it is very much spectacally driven, it is still very simple as far as their sets go. I mean, their sets are not, like, insane. And it's more about the actors and what's going on with the puppets and those kind of things. So, um, but then you have like Broadway not trying to, like they can't figure out what they are. Everybody else is then trying to compete with Disney, which you just can't do that. You don't have, you don't have the money. Yeah, here's a limitless budget. Yeah, you you have a limitless budget and we're going to put this up on stage and we also could rehearse it forever and get whoever we want to be in it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's, it's just wild. And so you have people trying to compete with that, and then they're trying to figure out how they can. And what's cool about Hamilton is that they kind of came in there and they used some of those, you know, Disney spectacle things. You have you have your moving lights, and your your sets are minimal. I mean, mm-hmm. there are some movements, but it doesn't move a whole bunch. And it's more about the ensemble, yeah. which is what I love about it so much is that it's it's all ensemble based, and it's about the show and not any one person because yeah. even though it's a it's Hamilton the musical it's more about everyone else around Hamilton mm-hmm. and that I think is why that show is so successful is that everyone around Hamilton was so well flushed out and the environment was so beautiful and intense and they didn't have to lean on something like later what Julie Taymor went to direct which was Spider-Man the musical mm. and they they did the same Disastrous. thing with her again, where they took over the theater that the uh, the cursed child is in now. But before that, they had spent like I mean I I actually don't even remember the number. It was insane. It was like over eleven million dollars on renovating this theater for Spider Man. Oh yeah, and all of the accidents and just the insanity of that whole show. 
and then the you know Harry Potter's cursed child came in and basically was like we're gonna redo the theater again. yeah <laughs> this didn't work but and then you know Julie Taymor I think she actually left the production right before preview she was like no I'm out of here this isn't working yeah what do you <laughs> and then they brought in a You're new like, director I'm gonna bail <laughs> I'm gonna bail on this right at the end I know this is bad I can't make this work I'm out right uh you know it's crazy to me because I know we talk about Hamilton because it's sort of a, a recency sort of thing. Yeah, it had a resurgence lately. And and it's something that is available for everybody to watch, which yeah. is really awesome because it for a long time, even though it's all about appealing to people who can't go to the theater, it was very exclusive yeah. to a certain crowd that could well, afford a ticket. Oh, exactly. You know, I was listening to this other podcast and this guy was talking about, because he lives in uh, Minnesota, and he talks about going to the theater all the time with his wife. And this is more of like a sort of a centered towards me podcast. It's for gamers mm-hmm. and gaming and things like that. And he talks about going to see shows all the time and how great it was to have something like Hamilton come out because he had tickets to go see it in New York. Oh, that's awesome. And, you know, the show got canceled and, mm-hmm. you know, or his tickets were refunded or whatever. And he was able to actually watch it at home. And he said, mm-hmm. I'm still going to see it in person. Yeah. Because... And I, I think that's important. Yes. I mean, because the in-person experience that even though I think that they shot it very well, mm-hmm. I mean, they combined, from what I remember, they combined two different productions. Yeah, they yeah, yeah. Two shows. And I think they did some pickups in between the weekends mm-hmm. that they were off or something like that. But I think they did a very, very good job. Oh, yeah. And um, as far as making you feel like you were in the space. But I just, I don't think there's anything like being able to sit and get the view of the person who directed it. Like oh, the, for sure. the theater director and to be able to watch it and think, yeah, this is why this all flows. Because, you know, when it's it's in a, a film version of it, the the cinematographer, the, the director of the film can focus in on one moment. Oh, yeah. You're missing. You know, you're missing so much. Well, and, and that's actually leading me to my point in that, you know, when you're in a frame, it's whatever is in the frame is what you want the audience to see. But on stage, you see everything. Right. And the for frame me, is a lot bigger. Yes. And for me, I think the biggest really spectacle moment in that show is that turntable turning backwards when... Oh, when they reverse time. Yeah, when they reverse time. And they're yeah. running through all of the movements again. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, holy crap, to I'm see so that in person. that I'm not in that. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> yes. I was watching that thing and like, oh, my god. And to hear them talk about it, they're like, yeah. This was the worst was, moment of our yeah. lives. Um. Well, especially you have to think for them because they were rehearsing in a space without a turntable and then they got there and they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Because I think they had like two weeks off as so that the, the people could build the stage, mm-hmm. build the stuff in the theater and then the actors show up for a week and they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> could you imagine me as hard as I have it with <laughs> dancing and you're just like, yeah, Chris is never going to be He's, able to this do this. not going to happen. He's just going to walk off. Yeah, we're going to... I'm going to be left alone on stage Chris by myself. <laughs> <laughs> Can I go to my room? <laughs> um but but to have you know a moment like that that's so simple that actually costs you not 35,000 to do. Oh, yeah. I, okay, I don't know how much the turntable costs, <laughs> but they could have reversed all the actions well, without the I mean, turntable they could have done regardless. So many things. Yeah. I mean, you look at like Anastasia on Broadway, they did insane cuz they go journey to the past. Yeah, know? yeah. Um 
they did all these things with projections and with costuming and, and the set was just nuts and they, they threw all this stuff on it. And it's nowhere near as impactful, you know, as, as what Hamilton did. Oh, yeah. And it's... Because sometimes the spectacle of it is just the sheer, I can't believe that these actors were able to do this. Oh, absolutely. And that's what I thought the whole time. I was like, this is amazing. Did I back it up and watch it again? Yeah. Yes, I did. <laughs> but it would have been cool to not see just the frame, to see the whole the thing. Whole stage, yeah. yeah. Instead of focusing in on just the actress that was having that moment in the song. Mm-hmm. You know, I I brought up the... Have you ever watched Uncle Vanya on 42nd Street? No. <laughs> you know, Have Uncle, I read and been in Uncle some Vanya, one acts or some, or like some, some like selected scenes? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Uncle Vanya is written by Anton Chekhov. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Oh, my God. Why are you questioning this, that? I don't know. You know, you like start to say stuff into the microphone and you're immediately like, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I'm saying something wrong because Michael Chekhov is all like, you know. Who is Elon Musk? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You're the worst. Um, I knew who he was. It's just in the moment I forgot. So, uh, yeah, so it was written by Chekhov and, and it is one of my favorite of his, but they actually filmed, uh, they filmed a version of it in that theater before the Lion King got there. Really? And that's, and it's a really cool film. If you haven't seen it, this is my, my plug for Uncle Vanya. Um, cause it made me think about it talking about the new Amsterdam theater. But uh, yeah, it's got some amazing, amazing people that are in it, and it is like these. It they it takes place almost like a documentary. It was actually written by David Mamet. All the facts of this are coming back to me in the moment. It was really cool. I, I totally <laughs> forgot that it was written by Mamet. Um, like put together this film version of it. Um, so in a way, it's kind of like he put his own spin on it to where they're rehearsing this. And they're in the rehearsal room and they're like getting donuts and stuff. And then all of a sudden they're in the scene and it's seamless. Like you just don't even notice it. Yeah. Like they're like, oh, I'm going to, you know, so what are you doing later? Oh, I'm, I've got, got to, you know, this audition at this place, at this place. And then all of a sudden they start saying lines from the script and they're in the Oh, scene. that's really cool. And it's just seamless. And it is so, so good. I wish I could remember the guy. It's the inconceivable guy from... Uh, Princess Bride. Oh, that actor, dude. He's one of those people. I don't know the name. Yeah, but I instantly know him and know exactly just who charmed is. by his scenes. Oh yeah. yeah, and um, and you know he's also in a uh, voice in a in the Goofy movie. So he is. That was another thing. Um, but he is Vanya in it. But he, it's just, it's just really good. You should watch. Look it up. It's probably. I don't actually think they. I is. Whatever the out-of-print version of movies is, is what it is. Is, is. They call it out-of-print. What do they call it? Just like they don't make this anymore? I don't know. Because everything's being released digitally now. Yeah. Who knows? I'm sure you could probably find it online. And do you even own the digital copies? But still. Anyway. Uncle Vanya, 42nd Street. Really great thing. So, as far as like the spectacle and things go, and and having the the, the commercialization, do you think that... What are what are some things that you think like creatively that it affects like in a positive way or maybe even a negative way? I mean, I know we've kind of set on the negative for a minute, but what's like something like like commercialization of performing arts that that can be affected positively by? Well, I do think that I know you know that we, sentence we were was talking about so bad. <laughs> no, I understood what you meant by it. I understand what you mean. I mean, what are some of the positive things yeah, that yeah, have yeah. come out of commercialized? Theater? Yeah. 
I think one of the things that have come out of it that is a positive thing, like with Hamilton on Disney Plus, is that it is accessible. And that's kind of the big thing because theater is an art form. The subscriber base, you always hear this, the subscribers mm-hmm. of theater are dying and the young people aren't coming in. And so who's going to continue to go watch theater? Yeah. I think this has probably been a problem since the very first, you know, Mr. Jim Theater went and opened his doors <laughs> and invited everybody in. <laughs> <laughs> and was like, look at this new thing I've come up with. And everybody's like, oh, Jim, you're crazy. <laughs> Only old people are going to like this. James Theater. <laughs> <laughs> they called him Jimmy. Um, yeah, but anyway, so you, you, I think this has probably always been a problem. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that, um, oh, man, I got off on this Jimmy Theater <laughs> thing, and it just made me laugh, and now I kind of lost So, you know... <laughs> I think about it, create... Oh, when you, accessibility. Yes. I found it again. I'm sorry. I just needed a minute. Um, <laughs> so, this, yeah, they put it on Disney+, Plus and we all get to see it, and it makes it more accessible. And what I hope comes from that is that people see that and think, man, I wish I could have been there. And so yeah. then whenever something else comes through, they're not so intimidated by it. We've talked about that with Shakespeare before, where it comes from a place of, I'm not going to go watch that. I don't want to be in that. I don't understand what they're saying. Mm -hmm. It's intimidating. And they kind of close themselves off to it. I think from a fear of not wanting to seem ignorant. Yeah. You know, I I don't want to look like I'm not smart enough for this, I guess. When, When really, it is... Shakespeare's one of the most accessible forms of theater, I think. And it covers... When it's done well. Yeah. When it's not done well, <laughs> I would say the opposite. Very isolating. I mean, the Hamlet that I saw that was put in space where Lysander and Hamlet had a lightsaber battle, um, that was not accessible theater in any way. Don't do that, Hamlet. Don't do that. No, no. <laughs> Bad Hamlet. Um, we could try it. You just wanted to go in there with like a squirt bottle and just like spray those actors and be like, No! Bad, bad Hamlet. Just go <laughs> off the stage. This is not well, well done. Um, but it's it's just I think I think of that, and I think that it is um, when people think like with Disney that it is more accessible for them. Mm-hmm. Like The Lion King, I've seen this movie. I know what I'm getting. I'm gonna go see what they do on stage. Yeah, and also I think sometimes that parents will be like, oh, yeah, well, no, I'm just bringing my kid, when really they want to see it. Yeah. And it just gives them that excuse. It gives them permission. So I don't know what it is that we have to do to be like, no, you have the permission to go to the theater and to see these things. And not all of the time. Like, all of that's not always going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> Even those big, huge musicals that they pour loads and loads of money in, not always going to be great. Yep. But, you know, sometimes it's life-changing and amazing. Oh, yeah. My uh my brother in law who was in the military for twenty four years, him and my sister they went to uh, uh, New York on a trip, and um they bought tickets because my sister wanted to go see um, the Blue Man Group. No, <laughs> uh, <laughs> stomp. <laughs> no, stomp. <laughs> the Phantom of the Opera. Oh oh yeah, the chandelier play. Yeah yeah, and well it's funny you mentioned the chandelier because yeah. my brother in law was like. Man, I super could not be less interested in this. Right. And they're sitting up on the top balcony. I mean, I'm with them on that. Yeah. I agree with you. <laughs> but he said when the chandelier came up and it was like almost hitting them on the balcony. Right. He like perked 
you know, perked up a little bit. And he was like, all right, I'm in it. I yeah. want to watch it. I want to see what's going on. And he said, from the rest of that, it was like, I'm in the show. Mm-hmm. So, so you see, I look at that, and this is what's what's so interesting, is that really that show, it, it does not cater to, to me or to somebody like me. Mm-hmm. But it is awesome that they were able to do this thing that brought your brother-in-law into the play and yeah. made them feel like, oh, I'm now going to listen to this. Yeah. I wonder, I guess Phantom of the Opera has been running longer than The Lion King. It most definitely has. Sorry, I don't have those facts. I just like trailed <laughs> off for a minute. My Andrew Lloyd Webber haze. Is that, is that what happens to you sometimes? You just like, like I wonder. Let <laughs> me just state this. <laughs> I do know that it is one of the most well-paying jobs you can get on Broadway. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like the contract is really good for Phantom of the Opera. I know everybody always wanted that tour. So just that they could have something, an experience like this, and it makes it accessible for them, I would hope that then it would bring them into to saying, maybe I should go see something a little less known that mm-hmm. I don't know as much about. You know, I mean, because I... Like, we went and saw the touring production of Waitress, and it's I wanted to see that show very bad. I just I love the music from it, and I had seen clips from it, and I just knew that it was going to be great. And it was you had a friend that was in that, yeah. You? Well, no, and, yeah, Andy's Andy's girlfriend Jesse uh, Jesse Mueller it mm-hmm. was yeah she originated okay. the role, um, but this was in the touring production. This was not oh, okay. So uh, Andy, who I talked about, who's the most brilliant Hamlet ever? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I don't know who this girl was, but she was great <laughs> in uh, in this waitress. And so they they're bringing these people like the. It's just in this diner, and that's where it's set the whole time. But they, the way that they included the ensemble to move the set pieces, like the actors are moving everything themselves. The band is on stage in the diner, and they're kind of like play a role where the actors kind of have this like, um, you know, I don't know what you'd call it, like elbow nudge. To yeah, be like, hey, we know you're here. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess you would call that Brechtian. <laughs> We're yeah. in a show. We're in a theater together. That's <laughs> crazy. Um, but it, it just, it was all so, so well put together. And our friend, actually, we went and saw this show for free and I was so excited about it. Our friend, Missy Laborde, who's so awesome, gave us tickets to it and we showed up and they had lowered the orchestra pit because they didn't need it since the band was on stage yeah, yeah, yeah. and they put extra seats on that and we didn't know. And I am a sit in the back person. I have a very loud laugh. I experience things in a very oh, God, large yes. way and they put me on the pit. I mean, I'm I can reach out and touch the stage with my hand and every time that I would laugh like just a little bit and I was trying to hold it in for the most part, but anytime I would laugh or react, you could see like the ensemble members or the actors would just look down at me like <laughs> what is wrong? That guy's really enjoying himself. <laughs> And Lexi That's was the problem like, with oh. having the distinctive laugh is they know when you know it's funny yeah. and they know when you don't think it's funny. <laughs> that is that is true. But it kind of terrible became, when you and I are together it because we became are this running gag. It felt like in the show, and I felt kind of bad for it. Like there was this moment where the guy who sings the uh, uh, Ogie, or I think it's his name, he sings this "I Love You" like a table song, and it was very very funny. And it like they were breaking on stage and I couldn't stop laughing at that point. The whole audience is laughing and they keep like looking down at me the whole time and it kept making it worse. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like it was just me and the actors. 
Me and the I pig. know I'm distracting you, and but this so is sorry. really funny. Yeah, it was just so great. But that is one of those things where you have, like, we're talking about these big commercial shows. You've got Sarah Bareilles' money behind it. I oh, mean, yeah. she's like written the score and the the book, you know, for this this show, and it is awesome. It's really good, and it's still artistically done. Yeah, and smartly done. I think that's really the thing. Because, you know, sometimes I think that people can cover up their creativity by throwing, I don't know, like the, a really expensive fog machine or yeah. like, you know, a, a fire curtain, which do, does exist. <laughs> yes. It's just like, you know, uh, way too much money or, you know, all of those things. I think they can put the spectacle on top of it and it will dampen the actual creativity. I think it kind of makes people a little lazy sometimes. Yeah. Because you can just rely on that. You don't have to rely as much. Yeah, and it's kind of like um, I hate to get, keep going back to To Kill a Mockingbird, but the, the set. It's okay. We've we've just we've we've talked about it now. Almost <laughs> just, we're on episode like what six or something at this yeah. point. <laughs> it it needs to show up at least. It was once. you know the set was very minimalistic, and the goal was to make this uh, this this feeling on stage that this was the South, right? That it was hot and warm and that there was no air conditioning it's like what we went went through with christmas carol which was actually meant to be in a smaller space than what we were going to do mockingbird in. yeah 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 and we had you know tried to figure out a way to to make it look lived in and old and almost like it was a warehouse and that it it just had this frigid coldness about yeah without the smell of cinnamon sorry (laughs) but but yeah but it's one of those things where um, when you put the thought into it, yeah, like like you were talking about um, the the wink wink kind of nudge nudge kind of yeah. deal. The, when the actors believe that they're in the space, mm-hmm. they are there, regardless on you know whether it's at the, the 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 downstage area where you are walking on the street, and then you yeah. walk upstage, and then you're in an office or a building or something. And as long as the actors believe that they're there, the audience, the audience will, will buy into it a hundred percent of the time. You don't need it makes it a lot that harder massive on your actors. Spe- oh yeah, for sure. I mean, they have got to they have got to show the environment. Yeah, you're like you have to endow it at, mm-hmm. at some point, and it doesn't need to be the spectacle. It doesn't need to be like, hey, we're gonna fly in this other set piece for literally thirty five seconds of stage time, right? And, and that to me makes no sense to spend that amount of money and that amount of time to build something. And maybe I'm just community theater talking here. <laughs> no, no. I mean, but that is what I mean. That's really what we're about. Yeah. And 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 that creates these character moments, and the audience is like, I think, oh, they're there. No matter what theater you are in, if you are not concentrating on the actor and the actor's performance and the acting then it's not worth it. Yeah. You're not it's, it's we just, didn't draw them in and that's that not totally on us. A show that I want to be a part of on any level, community-wise, professional-wise, any of that. So I I think that I mean that's why for me that that was why when I had left school going to Chicago made the most sense for me because their theater was more ensemble-based, it was more actor-driven. Yeah. It was more everybody working together to build this environment and to create this show. It wasn't about the lead or getting the lead. It was about the show. Yeah. I didn't matter what part I had. It mattered if I was in the show. That's what it was about. But, you know, and I felt like New York, that was more solo based. 
Mm-hmm. It was me worrying about me being in a show, but I'm it's I'm going to be yeah. the lead in the show. So I think that's why I had kind of wanted to go more towards where I went. Yeah. So then based on your experience, what what in your opinion do you think would be something that would revive the theater going experience then? Well, right. I mean, we talked about you know, these people, hopefully with the accessibility of it now, that it will then start to draw people in. Mm-hmm. Which is one of the good things about Hamilton, honestly, is that it was written in a way that nobody expected. You know, yeah. it's rap. Yeah. And it's written very well, and it's smart. And it kind of is a wink-wink back to old rap styles. Um, which, But he, like you said, it's so well written that all the care it's basically the opinion of all the characters around him of him. Of him, yeah. And and it's it's just it's really well done, but it sounds and feels very different from any other musical. So mm-hmm. I think that kind of says, whoa, that this is what like are all musicals this way? I mean, some musicals are like SpongeBob, the musical, mm-hmm. where <laughs> it's just a rock <laughs> show, yeah, and it's SpongeBob. And then some of them are like Hamilton, <laughs> and and either of them might be, yeah. <laughs> Um, actually, his song in that one is "I'm not just a simple sponge." Oh, I'm not a simple sponge. That might be actually from the show, like the actual the best day ever show is from yeah. the cartoon. Um, I think they do sing. I do anyway. We're not here to talk about nope. SpongeBob. Uh, so, but I, I think that the more shows that that people go and see like that, kind of like um, three, four, four years ago. Oh my goodness. Um, when the play that goes wrong opened up, yes, and so much fun. Oh my god, I just like insanity, like the best version of Noises Off you've ever seen. The, this <laughs> right. group of people, they also did a Peter Pan that goes wrong, and they just have such a good view of comedy and slapstick and what they're doing. It was just awesome, and uh, and that was straight theater, but. That kind of caught fire in a way that other straight shows had not yeah. done. You know, I mean, it was it was like this was hilarious. I've never seen anything like this, and and other people then started to latch onto it and to go to see it. And also, the ticket prices for that show in New York were so much lower. I mean, you could go see that show on Broadway for twenty forty bucks. Oh wow, that's incredible. I mean, you could pay a lot more, but but there was yeah. and be a better seat. But you could go see that show for twenty or forty dollars. And I mean, there was. I remember when I went to go see it, there were three balconies and I was on the third balcony. And when I walked in, there was an employee of the theater that was like one of the people handing out tickets, an usher. And she's like, well, I'm going to show you to your, she was speaking like this, well, I'm going to show you to your place upstage, upstairs. And she's like walking and the whole time she's making these comments like, oh my gosh, these must have been cheap tickets. And the whole time she's just, like making these cracks at us and joking and just like, we're not there yet. And it was a lot of stairs. Yeah. And we just kept walking and walking and walking. We got there and she was like, okay, y'all have fun. And then she walked away. She was in the show. They had cast. That's so awesome. Everybody in the show was working. I mean, because their whole shtick was that this was a bad show yeah. at a bad theater. Yeah. And everybody there was a part of this bad theater. And then, so the minute that you got there, you were experiencing it. And the whole time that you're waiting for the show to start, it's almost like going to see community theater where you know the paint isn't dry. <laughs> you're like, oh, these poor people. And if they if they lean Get against that, that wall, show. yeah, 
if they lean against that wall, they're going to get paint on their costume. Yep. That was just finished five minutes before the curtain opened. Um, and so they have people going up there and painting things or like replacing things yeah. that break and then things break on the set and the whole time. And so even while you're waiting for it to start, something is happening. Yeah. It just was brilliant, brilliantly done. And people responded to that and it became easy to go to. People yeah. wanted to go see it. Um, and then they even made a tour of it, which is huge for a straight play. That doesn't happen very no. often. And I just, I, that was, that was very exciting. So I, as far as reviving the theater experience goes, I think the like people wanting to go and see shows like that, I think that's already there. I think yeah. people want to go see these touring shows. Like, you know, in Louisiana, people want to go to the Sanger Theater and see whatever's going to mm-hmm. be in there. Mm-hmm. They, it doesn't, doesn't matter to them what it is because it's at the Sanger. So they think, oh, it's going to be good. Yeah. But we could put on something at a smaller theater closer to them like 20 minutes from their house say and they would rather drive the four hours to new orleans to see it because they feel like that's better somehow yeah even though our show could be just as good or better so it's it's kind of like don't know what to do to bridge that gap honestly it's kind of like you have to earn that clout almost yeah and and earn that creative trust it's it so i'll compare um one of my favorite film directors christopher nolan Right. You don't get a movie like Inception if he doesn't do Batman right. and The Dark Knight and The Prestige beforehand. Mm-hmm. Then they're like, well, we trust you. Right. So then he gets to make whatever movie he wants to make. And mm-hmm. he's like, this is the movie that I wanted to make. Right. And Well, you definitely have to crawl before you walk. Yes, <laughs> for sure. But, but, you know, he had to earn that you know, right to to be able to have an inception. Right, he didn't just like movies. wake up and say, I'm gonna sell you inception. Right. Or I'm gonna sell you uh, his new film Tenet. I'm gonna sell you all of these things. But now it's like, oh Christopher Nolan is doing a film. I'm gonna go watch it. Yeah. I really I don't it. care what it is, right? Mm-hmm. And well I think and the I singer think has built up some... enough mm-hmm. like equity. At this point. Well, yeah, and they know that it's a Broadway tour. It has on it. It's written Broadway tour, you know? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. people just know, oh, this is Broadway. Oh, Broadway. Yeah, so, yes. so I'm going to go see this. Go oh, speaking of that, wear a hat. I have a little trivia about um, oh, the play that goes wrong. Oh, okay. Do you know why? It goes And wrong? it speaks to commercialization. <laughs> Do you know why it was so popular? Um, be- okay. Because it went so, against the norms? No. I don't um, know. It had a very um, prominent financial backer in the name of J.J. Abrams. What? Yep. I did not know that. Is that how it he, made the jump from when the they West were, End? Yeah. When they, when they were doing Star Wars Episode Seven, he went to go see it oh. and fell in love with it and then got his... Because uh, they have a bunch of other shows, this yes. core company. He got his production company involved That's with them. amazing. And did all the promotion and got them over here. And well, used all of his connections to get them to America. Really and, yeah. love J.J. Abrams. Yeah. Just like, oh, that's so nice. Imagine going to see that. You have no, like, you have no idea what it's about. Right. And you get, you know, sat in your seat by someone who then... Is in the show. Yeah, is in the show. And they're, <laughs> quote unquote, ruining, you know, this experience for you. <laughs> and you're literally making the biggest film of 2015. Yeah. You're like, 
Well, I'm sure that was a massive <laughs> stress release for him to be able to go and watch this show. Yeah. So I'm sure he was all about supporting them. So He's then like, you see something you like gift. that, and and then you hear about him doing that, and you're like, it's not all bad. Yeah, it's not all bad. And, and I it mean, takes I people like him to revive. Like yeah. That commercial theater is all bad. I definitely no, 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 yeah, am yeah. not saying that. I'm saying that just like with anything, there is good and there is bad. And especially when there is money involved and people's egos. Because yeah. the more money, the more ego somehow. It's like uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes. Uh, do you know that story? I mean, probably not. You're talking about <laughs> film. So you, you've, you've now no, no, jumped this out is, of my world. This is now literary. Oh. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle <laughs> um, actually wrote uh, Sherlock Holmes to die in The, the, right. the Final Problem. And that was his creative choice. And they wouldn't let him do but it. But then the the people that he was writing for lost like 20,000 subscribers or something to whatever, like their paper or publication work or whatever. And they forced him to kind of rewrite the character and bring him back into publication. No, I did not know that. Yeah. So he like, after that moment, battled the public for creative control of his characters. Of his own character. Yeah, which is crazy. But... Well, when you write something like that, that becomes so beloved. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's hard. And but when does it? You know, when is it not yours anymore? Yeah, and 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 I don't necessarily say that that's not a bad creative thing because we got more of this character that we loved, right? Yeah. But when you're the creator of something, or and but even a director, things need to go away. Yeah, agreed. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to beat a dead horse. <laughs> yes. Um, but when you're the creator of something or even the director, kind of like you're saying, you don't want to overstay your welcome. Yeah. And it's like, I want to make creative choices that leave a lasting impression on this show or this moment. Mm-hmm. And and I don't want it to be this $35,000 curtain drop. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you just kind of hope that eventually, you know, that enough people will go and see your show. Yeah. <laughs> I know that I... I feel when I go and see bad local theater, I can tell you it goes through my brain. My What goes through my brain is I feel very sad because I really don't think, especially, well, I, I know for a fact, in, in my mind, I think whenever you have as much money as, as like Broadway or, you know, these big commercial houses, if I go and see a bad show there, I think you have absolutely no excuse. Uh, you yes. Had, you had yes. all of the opportunity <laughs> and the budget to make yes. this happen, and you you didn't. That makes no, it makes no sense. But even still, when I go see a bad show on a local level, I still kind of feel the same way. Like, you you don't have an excuse to put on a bad show, because we can't, as artists. I mean, we just cannot put on a bad show. Yeah. For the people who are trying to continue this art form, you cannot put on a bad show. Yeah. Because someone in that audience, this is their very first time, no matter what. They're going to go and they're going to sit down. And if you haven't fully thought what you're, you're, if you're directing this and you haven't put all of the thought into it and all of your, your heart and passion, people are going to be able to see that. Oh yeah. And if it's just something that you're like, oh yeah, whatever, it'll be fine. I'll get to it next. I'll do on the next one. I'll, I'll be more prepared. Yeah. That basically that we can't, we don't, we can't afford to be that lazy. I don't know how else to say it. I think you need to treat every one one of them as the last one. Right, because that one person that goes and sees that show, they may come back every time. If they have one good experience, yep. they will they will search for that. Mm-hmm. 
So if they miss it a couple times, it's like, well, that last one wasn't as great. I'm going to still go back, though. Yeah, what's 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 their next show? What's the next show? Let me turn yeah. the, the, the oh, playbill over and, and see what their season is. It have to be something they recognize from a huge movie title Yeah, every single time. I mean, it can be something once you get them you can once you get your audience you can then start to play a little bit artistically about what you want people to see yeah yeah, yeah. what you are passionate about i mean it is truly an art form to build a season but it is it is incredibly hard to maintain a subscriber base yes and to maintain that that first person i mean that's what i think every time i do a show i'm doing that show for the one person that's never seen a show before yep and that's why I love when we do theater and we get to do a, a school performance or we get to invite you know people from the nursing home or something like that and they get to come and see our shows. Some of those people, like when we did Oliver at the Fox, we had people come in from, um, from an assisted living and they had never seen a show before. This is their wow. first show and they're like, you know, 80 years old. Or more than 80, however well, yeah, yeah, old yeah. you have but, to but be you, to be you know. an assistant living. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how old it is. But still, I mean, that's that's crazy to me. And then they see something so late in life that they fall in love with. And they love, like, yeah. so many of them came up to me and they thanked me. And they, they were like, this was an amazing experience. And I hope that we get to come back. Now, I mean, sure, their days aren't super exciting and we <laughs> i'm sure gave them some excitement but still it's, it's they a are really numbered cool, yes yeah it's still a really cool thing that we were able to to do that for them and i think the same thing about if you're gonna have a school show you gotta hit you gotta have a good show because you're basically saying i'm gonna bring in all these kids who are gonna be my future subscriber base yep and i've got to get them now so that they will come back i love the school shows because for me it's this challenge Oh, it is. They only want to be there to be out of class. And they want to make fun of you. They want to make fun of you. Oh, yeah. And none of them are taking it seriously. Because they don't want anyone to see them but take just, it seriously. Yeah. Just, it's like when you have that moment and they all laugh mm-hmm. or you can feel, because you, as an actor, when you're on stage and you're doing live performance, you know when you have that tension or you, or you know when you have, for whatever whatever you want to call it, that energy from the audience. When you yeah. have that like attention from them and you can just reel them in and you know that no matter what feels like a superpower yeah sometimes that that regardless on whether they came there to make fun of you whether they came there to just get out of class they're in it yeah they're in that moment with you Mm -hmm. and there's no taking that away and you just hope that they fall in love that they will fall in love with this thing i think that's one of the you know, for me, especially coming back into the small community and doing theater again, um, that is what I want the most, is that I want people of a, a, a younger age or really any age to be able to come and experience theater on a way that I experience theater. Yeah. And to be able to share that love and that power with them, you know, because I do think that it really does have the power to transform your life, I, I think yeah. it does. It just totally has the ability to be able to open you up into new avenues that you didn't know were possible. Because especially in a small community, and we have talked about that, about just you don't get to meet as many people from yeah. around. And you bring these authors' ideas in from other worlds, and then you're exposed to them, and then all of a sudden it's more accessible. So as far as the revitalization 
there's nothing more that I would love for theater to become an event again where people yeah. go out and they're like, we're going to have dinner. We're going to or we're going to have a cocktail and then we're going to go to the theater. We're going to dress up all that stuff. Obviously not in any of these orders. And then we're going to <laughs> <laughs> hopefully you're dressed before we're the gonna cocktail go to in the, the theater. theater and then we're going to get dressed. And then up. We're going to get dressed up. <laughs> um, and and just to make it something fun. Yeah. I did see whenever uh, if the quarantine first started, the stay at home orders started during the pandemic that the all these people that were making these live streams that have uh, come available from these bigger theaters um, that they have started like uh, dressing up. Yeah. And having dinner and then treating it like and putting up chairs like they're at the theater. Yeah. And having that experience. And I think that's so freaking cool. Yeah. I just think that's really awesome. I was always too lazy to do that. I just watched it. <laughs> but the idea of it was really cool. Yeah, I think uh I think I'm very excited to just go see a show. I just want to <laughs> get back. Point, yeah. I want to get back on the stage so but, bad. But to make it this this full night where you go out or maybe you take the kids and you, you send them to, you know, a friend or get a babysitter or a mm -hmm. parent or something like that. And you're just like, this is a date night and we've set aside these, you know, three hours, you know, one for eating and then two for the show. Right. To, to really experience something. Yeah. Together. Yeah. Which, you know, Lexi loves period pieces. Yes. So she really yes, she loves... Does. And I and I do too. I mean, I I love I love that stuff. But if she would be content to watch Downton Abbey until the end of time, yes. over and over and over again, I'm pretty <laughs> sure we've watched all of them five times at this point. But um, but still watching it with her, and I see the any of these period pieces really see how much thought goes into every little event because it was something that back then you had to really plan for as yeah. far as what you were going to do. But even something as simple in that show as the fair coming into town and then people just getting excited like, oh, we're going to this is we're all going to do this together. And then they make this big plan to go do this one thing. What are we going to wear? What do we and it becomes exciting. And I hope that whenever all of this is done and life goes back to whatever normal is, whatever the new normal is for us. Yeah. Um because I don't think it's going to be exactly the same, and I hope it's not actually. But and I, but I, I hope that things like the going to the theater or going out to eat become more special. Yeah, and it's something that we plan for and that you put a little bit more weight to. It just makes it more important, right? And so that's one thing. I watch those shows with her, and I get kind of jealous. I'm like, man, it would be so neat to be able to to put that much thought and care and love into just one thing. Yeah, like you've been looking forward to this all week. Right. This whole day that you had now have, like your Saturday or whatever, is now mm. planned around this one. This one thing. Yeah. That's cool. Mm. What, what else? What else we got? <laughs> <laughs> we're actually like on time. Like we're, we're out of time. I kind of felt like it was the end. I was like, this feels like a wrap up, but I didn't know if it was a wrap up. So I was just going to, I just was going to stare at you and then. Normally you're the you're the lead man. You're the lead guy. I'm not the you lead. Do you're the lead. I'm more of the the, the I'm the vamper. <laughs> I you you say one thing and then I vamp until you tell me not to vamp anymore. I'm more like the interviewer. 
And I, you're the I interviewee. You're just the you're the smart one, and I'm the person that will talk until you tell me to. I don't even stop. I don't even know how our roles have switched over the years, but all right, it, it has happened. It has happened. <laughs> well, everyone, um, we are on time, and this is uh, Scene Partners. That is Cody, and that was Chris. Toodles. Yeah.